0: It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
1: Ocean Breeze, Tropical Beach, Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.
2: Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court
0: dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet.
2: The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case.
0: I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years.
2: Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in depth episodes of the award winning podcast, Breakdown the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. This is Access Atlanta, your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Every week, we're here to help you get ready for the weekend and bringing you conversations with some of the most interesting people in arts, culture, food, and entertainment in Atlanta. Let's get started with a couple of events that are happening around town this week. Knights had their day in the historical sun when fighting featured grueling hand to hand combat with swords, shields, and lances. For centuries, they were the top of the food chain, elite fighters, and part of the aristocracy. Eventually, firearms made standing armies more economical and rendered the Knights' armor less effective. But the mystique of chivalry and knighthood lives on even centuries later. In Fernbank Museum's most recent exhibition, you'll find a collection of more than 120 pieces of vintage medieval armor and weaponry from Frederick Stibbert an Italian-born 19th-century arts collector and financier. Knights in Armor will run through May 15th in the museum's temporary gallery space. Read the story of how this exhibit came about and what you'll see on Rodney Ho's Georgia Entertainment Scene blog at accessatlanta.com. On Monday, October 5th, 2010, in a San Francisco Bay Area club, Latin big band Pacific Mambo Orchestra played its first gig. There were more players on stage than concertgoers in attendance. Just under four years later, on a stage in Los Angeles, the band accepted a Grammy Award for Best Tropical Latin Album in recognition of its self-titled, self- and crowd-funded debut release. The band typically has 20 performers on stage, including trombonist and University of Georgia graduate Jamie Dubberley. Co-founder Stefan Kuhn, Dubberley, and bandmates are bringing their big band sound to the Rialto Center for the Arts on February 19th. Read our interview with Duberley and Kuhn on AccessAtlanta.com and check out Friday's Go Guide in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution where you'll find more events in and around Atlanta. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, we'll hear from a man from Ackworth who is solving cold cases. Ackworth's Jeremy Sides, a former Navy man and father of two, is an entrepreneur and a metal detecting hobbyist who started out searching for Civil War relics in the woods and creeks near his home. His fondness for finding gold nuggets earned him the nickname Nug, and he began documenting his exploits on his YouTube channel, Exploring with Nug. Eventually, he was earning enough YouTube revenue to give up his business repairing automobiles, and he turned to full-time adventuring, scouring trash out of rivers, and finding abandoned guns a few pipe bombs, the occasional diamond ring, and vintage bottles. He invested in sonar equipment and scuba gear to take his searches underwater. His career took a dramatic turn in November when he scanned the creeks around Sparta, Tennessee, and found a submerged Pontiac with two teenagers inside. They were Jeremy Bechtel and Aaron Foster, missing since April third, 2000. Since then, Sides has become part of a growing group of freelance sleuths seeking out mysteries and posting their exploits online. Bo Emerson recently spoke with Sides about his work, and he's here to bring us that conversation. Welcome, Bo. Hey, Shane. How are you? I'm good. And this guy, he sounds really fascinating. Yeah, he's, I'll tell you, I went with him
3: to uh, one of his um, explorations in uh, Gadsden, Alabama, and uh, it it was a sunny day, but the water temperature was somewhere in the 40s. And if you if that's like um, you know uh, uh, Titanic uh, quality water, you know you get in there, and uh, if you don't have a dry suit on, uh, you're immediately um, uh, paralyzed. But he did not seem to be concerned about it. Now he did have the gear; he had the dry suit. But nonetheless, I, I was just shivering watching him.
1: Yeah,
2: in that creek, a <laughs> bit. But yeah, it's it's amazing that he has managed to. Um, you know, solve some of these cold cases that no one else had ever solved.
3: Yeah. And uh, uh, partly he sort of followed the example of, uh, of another outfit um, bait that uh, came from Oregon, uh, a group called Adventures with Purpose. And uh, but all of these folks uh, know each other. There's there's a variety of of kind of underwater uh, uh, exploring guys uh who are uh, on the same page here. And the reason that they're good at this is they, they, do, they do two things. One is they find cold cases that involve a vehicle, and then they find uh, cold cases that involve a vehicle in a town that has a lot of rivers and creeks running through it. And, uh, and what, uh, uh, what Jeremy says is that nine times out of 10, that vehicle is underwater. You don't just lose a car or a truck. Right. Either either it's been taken apart in a chop shop or or it's somewhere where people can't see it and usually that's underwater.
2: Yeah, well, that's great. I, I'm really excited to, to hear what he has to say and you, you've written a story about him which I should tell folks is already online and they can go read that at AJC.com. Um, but uh, is there anything else we need to know about Jeremy before we go into the conversation?
3: While we were talking to him, uh, uh, he was actually in, in uh, Florida at the time, had just found yet another uh uh, uh vehicle that resolved yet another cold case. Um, he, he could be doing it right now for all we know, right?
2: Yeah, well, that's great. Well, you know, keep up with this guy. He uh, he, as we said, he's on YouTube, and uh, so you can follow his exploits there. But uh, meanwhile, we're gonna hear from Jeremy sides himself about about his work and uh, and what he does and thanks so much Bo for bringing us this hey glad to do it all right let's hear from Jeremy sides
3: uh, ladies and gentlemen we have Jeremy sides here with us for the podcast Jeremy is a uh, a dad from Ackworth he is a former uh, automotive engineer and uh, a hobbyist who uh, made a, a, had fun looking for Civil War artifacts and gold nuggets and things like that, first in the woods and then in the creeks and rivers. And then he found out that his abilities, especially his scuba diving abilities, uh, made it possible for him to do something that was a, had a lot more impact on the people around him. Um, and as a result, he solved uh, a handful of cold cases, some of which Uh, have been uh, unresolved for the last 21 years. Uh, Jeremy, it's good to have you here. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
3: So you are in Florida right now, and you were diving on a variety of cars. And as a result, you resolved a case last week uh, uh, that had uh, eluded authorities for about nine months. You found a car in a retention pond. Tell about that.
0: Uh, Well, her name was Margaret. And uh, she went missing nine months ago. and the, the circumstances surrounding her disappearance uh, were cloudy. So like th- we searched for two days, and the first day, uh, we searched a bunch of bodies of water, and she um, couldn't we didn't find her, but we ended up finding two trucks in some ponds. And uh, when we had the police come out, uh, the ple- we was talking back and forth to the police about this missing person we're looking for, and they pulled up her file. And there was information in the file that led us to a different location Ah. uh, in town. And uh, within like the first hour of us searching for the second day, uh, we we found her in a small pond in a a newly developed neighborhood. And the water was just deep enough to hide her car. It was only 18 inches under the water, but it was so murky, you couldn't see anything.
3: This is the, the, the thing that I, I find the most interesting. You've uh, you've resolved case, cases that, that uh, the authorities have had uh, a long time to try to uh, try to de- uh, determine the answer to. Um, and part of it is, uh, you know where to look. But the other part of it is you have uh, this technology that a lot of police departments and sheriff's departments don't have. And can you describe that a little bit?
0: Uh, the sonar essentially the, the equipment that we're using is just is really high tech, uh, fishing sonar. Uh, these fishermen will put them on their boats and they'll search for structures for uh, fish habitats, you know, like, cause big fish like to hang out next to like logs and rocks. And, uh, it also doubles as a perfect uh, piece of equipment to locate vehicles underwater. So that's what we're using. And, um, There are search and recovery teams that use the same kind of technology, but uh, it's depending on the department, the police department and the resources, the community funding is, is mainly it's, it's money and funding. And uh, some of these police departments just don't have the funding to equip themselves with this kind of technology. And if they do have it, Um, they're not using it near as much as we are. So they might see something that they think is a log or a rock and we'll see it and be like, that's a thousand percent a car, you know? Um, And also police officers nowadays, they got a lot on their plate. They're not just searching for vehicles and searching for missing persons. You know, like they're doing a lot of other things. This is all we do. So for like day and night, we're staring at sonar and scuba diving. So like, this is a honed skill that we've perfected.
3: And uh, the, a, as a result, uh, you are better at using the sonar and also you're better at scoping out where, where these people might be. Now, why is it that we're going to find these cars underwater all
0: the time? A car is something that's really hard to hide, uh, especially nowadays with technology. There's cameras everywhere. If uh, a person, let's just say it was foul play, um, and somebody gets robbed or hide, kidnapped or something, um, you can. It's 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 a heartless way to say it, but you can hide a body or dispose of a body a lot easier than just a than a, than a vehicle. Just and it's sadly it happens every day. But when a car goes missing, it's either buried, it's underwater, or they had an inside connection to one of these scrapyards. But other than that, you can't really hide a car for too long unless they're you know underwater so that's that's a big indication in these cases to start looking in the rivers and lakes
3: so when a person goes missing and they are associated with a vehicle um then as you've said nine times out of ten that vehicle's underwater if nobody's found it for the last 10 years Uh Uh, especially if they're in a town like uh for example gadsden alabama that has a lot of creeks and rivers and lakes all around it
0: yes definitely i mean Gadsden has a huge river that runs right through town. Um, A lot of the creeks that feed into that river are deep enough. You was with us one day when we uh, found that pickup truck in in a creek, and it was deep enough to hide a full-size pickup truck, but you would have never thought that a truck would be out there.
3: And now now, uh, uh, last uh, uh, November, uh, you uh, uh, solved pretty much by yourself one of the cases that had been uh, bedeviling, uh, the, uh, people in, in Tennessee for a long time. And you found two teenagers that have been missing for, uh, 21 years, or at least you found the vehicle that they were in, um, t- that was, uh, tell about that.
0: That is, man, it's, um, it's a crazy story. I, I came across their missing person report online and, uh, all the indicators were, were there saying, you know, like they're, they're, they're in a body of water somewhere. That's what I was thinking, at least now, when I dove deeper into this story, like there were lots of rumors that um, they were murdered or they were, you know, kidnapped, they were dumped down a well. um, And then other stories that they just decided to pack their bags and go start a better life in Florida, for instance, that was one of the rumors. And uh, I didn't hear about all these. But what I did hear was, you know, they left their friend's house in the middle of the night and they vanished. And the car vanished too. And uh, I pretty much, I figured out where the friends lived and the closest bodies of water around where the friends lived. And I started searching. Collectively, I searched for two full days and I ended up finding them. The first day I spent all day in a lake outside of town and I ended up finding a car in that lake, but it wasn't theirs. And then the second day I started hopping bodies of water in lakes and other rivers. And then the last place i searched was right in town and, and there is a river that runs right through that town and i mean the, where i found them was it, it would make total sense it was around a, a, a gradual curve on the road and the road runs right next to the river and 20 years ago there was there was no guardrail so at any point a car could crash and go into the river and that was my mindset when i started searching and i was right they were they were sitting in 10 feet of water um off the road in town um and this town is so small everybody knew everybody in this community like you know those towns where right. you know like everybody just knows people there's like 100 200 people in this town and they were just traumatized to find out that their friends were sitting in the river for 20 years that they've drove by they've they, they fished right over the car you know the father of the girl the teenage do- the girl she uh he said in an interview that he would go fishing in that river you know all the time and it's just crazy to think that he was literally standing right next to his kid and never knew it
3: now what did it feel like for you uh when you're under the water and you look at the uh the tag on this car and you you know you see the car as a pontiac and you read the tag and you you realize who's in
0: there it is a numbing feeling It's, it's it's something i I've been asked that question a million times and I still can't even answer it. Uh, it's, it's a whirlwind of emotions. Cause like when I first swam up to the car underwater, I could immediately tell it was the, the, the kind of car I'm looking for. And then, you know, I, I just, I just started swimming around it. and I noticed all the windows are up and then I swam to the back and I confirmed that it's the tag number. And I was just, I was excited and at the same time, like nervous and then sad and anxious. And then joyful, but bittersweet, because I know that now this town is about to find out that their friend, their loved ones did pass away. you know And the, a lot of people are still having hope that maybe someday they'll show up again, you know, and they made a better life for themselves. But tragically, it ended up being a, a car accident, just a simple car accident, and nobody saw it. so that's where they sat for 20 years.
3: On the other hand, Uh, The the parents and the friends and everybody else uh, finally had a a resolution to something that had been bugging them. I mean, probably torturing them for twenty one years.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Like the father did interviews, and uh, you know, I mean, it just I just can only I couldn't even imagine. You know, I have two kids myself, my own, and to lose one of them would be devastating. To for them to go missing and I never get an answer on where they went, it it would drive me nuts. Like I would, I would consume me, you know? And, uh, sadly, Jeremy, one of the teenagers, his mom died a year before we found him. So she went to her grave, not knowing where her son went. So I can, it must be miserable. Like it just could be the worst feeling ever to not know where your kids went. So at least they now know what happened. So they can, they can start the healing process after 20 years, if that's even possible.
2: This is Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We'll continue with Bo Emerson's interview with Jeremy Sides about his remarkable work cracking cold cases. But first, here's more of our list of things to do in and around metro Atlanta. The Obama portraits are now on view at the High Museum of Art. The exhibition will continue through March 20th when it moves to Houston as part of a five-city tour. Read more about the art and the artists on AccessAtlanta.com, and check out one of our earlier podcasts, which featured a talk with the National Portrait Gallery's Dorothy Moss. Spring is on the horizon, but we're not out of the chilly woods quite yet. Luckily, there are plenty of new places in metro Atlanta to grab a hot bowl of ramen or pho or other bowls that will warm you up before the sun starts sticking around on the regular. Yvonne Zussel has compiled a list of some of the best warmth-bringing soups to be found in and around Atlanta for this week's Go Guide, coming in Friday's print edition of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You'll also find that story on AccessAtlanta.com.
1: Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on! Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I
0: wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the
1: entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL.
2: This is Access Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The facts matter now more than ever. Get unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution so you know what's really going on. And you're helping us fulfill our mission to bring you the news that's important to you. Subscribe today at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to join the community for just 99 cents. Let's continue our conversation with YouTube adventurer Jeremy Sides.
3: Now, at the same time, uh, you uh, document your, uh, your adventures, uh, on your uh, YouTube channel and also uh, on Facebook, um, Adventures with Nug and Nug is you. You used to uh, you got the nickname Nug because you were uh, you like to find gold nuggets in creeks and rivers and things like that. And then you moved on to more important things to look for. Um, you have a lot of followers uh, 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 on YouTube, and uh, the uh, it made it possible uh, the uh, just the revenue from the from those folks to be able to quit your your job and to just focus on this all the time. So uh, you're, uh, you, you've you ended up with a, with a completely different career than you started out with. How does that feel?
0: It's, it's awesome. I mean, people go through their entire life, you know, just working nine to five and being miserable, not really knowing, like, they have a dream, but they never get to fulfill it, maybe until retirement, I don't really know. But uh, to be able to to walk away from just the normal nine to five and actually do something that I have so much passion for and, and excitement and enjoyment, and I'm I'm literally changed. Like I'm doing things that's that's amazing. It's it's more than myself. It's and uh, and I get to make a living doing it. Um, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Not many people actually get to do this, so I'm honored that I somehow got to. Um, turn this into a, a career
3: now there's often there there are rewards offered for uh you know information leading to the recovery of these folks and and such um what what do you do uh, about those things
0: i personally haven't been involved in any rewards yet but it's not an issue like if there is a reward um well i mean obviously um i would take it but depending on who is involved And, uh, you know, what went into it, Um, the reward money would be split up amongst the team. And essentially all the money would either go to the family of the victims um, or it would go right back into the business for, you know, gas bills, uh, better equipment to continue doing this. But um,
3: sometimes people might uh, (coughs) might uh, suggest to you that. Well, why don't you take all the money that you make off of YouTube and give that to the families? What's your, what's your response to that?
0: It's, it's silly because I understand what they're saying, but at the same time, this this is my job. Like anybody, money makes the world go round. uh, And that's just the sad truth. And if I can't do this, I can't drive my truck. I can't drive the van um, without money. And this so this is this is the money I make. Now, if I was making millions of dollars doing this, then, yeah, I would have no problem helping the family out. But right now, this is this is just a normal job making normal money, you know. So and that's what pays for this. So, like, they, I can't just give my money away. Then I would be homeless.
3: It's a pretty unusual, <laughs> normal job, though, wouldn't you say?
0: It's very it's very unusual. It's, like, very few people really get to fulfill this kind of um lifestyle and but it's 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 hard work and it took a long time to get where i'm at but it paid off and now i actually can consider myself a, a full-time documentarist and uh um, you know scuba diver and, and now you know trying to find missing persons
3: now uh, what's next for you you y'all are going to be in florida for a little while longer than where are you going to go
0: oh, oh i got all kinds of stuff planned like thinking about at least uh, we got one more day tomorrow Still searching for um, a missing person here in Daytona, and uh, then the following day we we there's word that there is a yellow '69 Corvette in the river here in Daytona, so we're gonna go try and find it and pull it out just for you know for the fun of it, and then uh, that's gonna wrap up the Florida trip. We've been uh we've been in Florida for about two weeks, and so we'll start making our way back home to Atlanta. Might stop at a couple places along the way just to just to ha- have fun. And then after that, you know, like back to the drawing board, look for more cases there. Uh, there might be a missing person case linked to that car that I found outside of Sparta the first day. So we're going to go back to that car and see if we can, um, you know, identify it 100 um, percent. See if we can figure out what's what's the story of that one. And that's it. I will just keep keep finding, finding missing persons and uh, investigate and see if we can find them, bring them home.
3: Well, I'm delighted to get you on the phone, and uh, I appreciate you taking time with me, Jeremy, and uh, uh, be careful out there. I understand that water was about 40 degrees when you and I were there outside of Gadsden. That seems kind of chilly to me. I don't care if you have a dry suit on or not. I still think my head would start to hurt.
0: It's very cold. Any bare skin, you'll feel it. Uh, But yeah, the dry suit helps. uh, The equipment we use helps. And because of the viewers and donations, and it, that, that is essentially what gets us the equipment we need to not freeze to death. So that's just another, you know, whoever's listening to this much appreciation because just watching the video supports keeping me safe and dry and continuing to do what I'm doing. Well, stay
3: safe out there, Jeremy. Thank you for taking time with us and we'll talk no to you problem. again.
0: All right, man. I appreciate it.
2: Okie dokie. Bye bye now. AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on AccessAtlanta.com, along with deeper looks at trends in arts and entertainment and compelling stories of lost bits of history. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. When a 17-year-old enslaved woman named Anarka suffered protracted labor on the Westcott Plantation in Montgomery, Alabama, an ambitious young doctor named J. Marion Sims was sent to assist the birth. Sims used forceps. The baby died the woman's birth canal tore. It might have been another tragic but common incident in the age of antebellum medicine. Yet Anarka's injury and the 30 surgeries she endured over the subsequent three and a half years without anesthesia at the hands of Sims as he tried to repair the tear is one of the most infamous cases in American medicine. Anarka and two other enslaved women, Betsy and Lucy, all patients of Sims who suffered birth canal tears, remain the center of conversations about the ways enslaved black people were sometimes used for experimental surgeries of the era. Yet, 175 years later, Sims is still called the father of gynecology. Michelle Browder, a visual artist and community organizer in Montgomery, Alabama, and a former Art Institute of Atlanta student, has created statues that honor these women. Find out more about the story of the horrors these women and others like them endured and how Browder and others are keeping their memory alive in this Sunday's Living in Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You'll also find the story online at AJC.com on Sunday morning. This story is part of our Black History Month series, which you'll find every day in February in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The stories are all available online at ajc.com slash black hyphen history month. The new Dwarf House has the history of Chick-fil-A built into its walls, windows, doors, and floors. The Dwarf Grill was much smaller than any grill or diner when it opened in the 1940s at 512 square feet. In 1957, S. Truett Cathy added a porch and it became the Dwarf House. At 10,647 square feet, the new structure, which just reopened in Haightville, dwarfs the original grill, but also pays tribute with an outdoor dining area the exact shape and size of the 1946 store. We got an advanced look inside the remodeled restaurant. Find out more about the refurbished dwarf house and see photos from earlier days and how it looks now in Bo Emerson's story on accessatlanta.com. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to accessatlanta.com and AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Ewan. And I'm your host, the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.
1: Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see... Do and enjoy along the world's most famous beach, Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.